scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Follow along in your, in your Bibles or uh, follow along on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Well, this past Wednesday, we had our annual congregational meeting, and it's an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, to celebrate some people in our church who have served in leadership for many years, who are stepping down after having served faithfully for many years, and uh, we had a chance to celebrate them and to see what has transpired in our church uh, through them, through the way God has used them to bless our church, and then uh, we had the opportunity to welcome in new leadership uh, into, our, into our church. We, welcome, we welcomed in uh, Mary Martinez as our new financial secretary, uh, Hetty Abad as our recording secretary, and we welcomed on two new uh, trustees, uh, Mark Savoy uh, and Al Martinez. And so it was very exciting. We, we also welcomed in two new members. Josh and Sung Lee uh, became members of our church, and they're... Uh, they're two really cute kids, uh, Noah and Elsa, and so we're just really glad that you're a part of our church. Uh, we, we approved the budget, voted for the budget. It was, it was just a very exciting, exciting time, but I think the question we need to ask ourselves really is, why? What was the purpose? Why did so many of you come out on a rainy, a rainy Wednesday? Actually, to be honest, we just barely had enough uh, to come out. So I'll use this as an opportunity to remind you, if you're a member, uh, we really do need you. Uh, if you can make it for our annual meeting and our semi-annual meeting two times a year, we need you for a quorum. We almost didn't get it, uh, so just keep that in mind. But we did, we did get it. Uh, we had enough people. Uh, but what was it? You know, why, why would you come out on a rainy Wednesday after a long day? What, what, what's the point? What's the purpose of any of this? Today we are continuing in our series uh, called... Bleed, and it's a series in which we're looking at three core values of the church. These are three values which come from the pages of Scripture, I believe are essential to a, a church that's being biblically faithful to the Bible, being faithful and, and effective for the kingdom of God. And these, these three values are being gospel-centered, community-oriented, and outwardly-faced. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at gospel-centered, and this is the 
the core value of core values, right? This is the value of values upon which everything else is based. And the whole idea is that everything that we do either points to or flows out of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything points to and flows out of that. That on the cross, Jesus died to forgive us of our sin. That no matter who you are, no matter how far you may have turned from God in your thoughts, in your actions, in your heart, that if you just turn to God and and, and confess your sin, we see that, that God in the person of Jesus has died to forgive us, to absorb that sin, that that we can come and be in his presence. And so this, this brings a great, a great humility, a humility in which we can be honest and authentic about who we are because we know that our God loves us no matter what. And then, and then that, that enables us to approach transformation. We don't, we don't want to just stay where we are. We don't want to just stay in our sin. We want to live differently. We see, we, we see this picture in Jesus of how we could live, and we want that, right? And so then... Here's where the resurrection comes in, that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to change us, is available to work in us and to bring transformation. And so I I talk over and over again that we're after after transformation. We're after transformation. We're we're, we're gospel-centered. We're we're not just Bible-centered. Of course, we are Bible-centered because the Bible is what, well, what tells us about Jesus, and the Bible is what instructs us in the way to live our lives. But you see, it's not as simple as simply being Bible-centered because what we can't do is just say, well, the Bible says it, so now I'm going to do it. You see, it's not that simple. It's not as simple as saying the Bible says it, so now I'm going to do it. You see, that's how the Apostle Paul used to live uh, before he became a Christian. And what he, re- what he talks about in Romans 7 is he realized that, that as he really sought to understand what the Bible was saying, he couldn't do it. The only way you can read the Bible and then just do it on your own effort is actually if you water down what the Bible is saying and you reduce it to a system of rules. And this is what religion tends to do. Religion actually waters down what the Bible is saying and and reduces it to to some rules that, that might be challenging to follow but at least are manageable. But you see, what Paul came to realize as he studied the scriptures faithfully, is that if he really understood what it was saying, well, he couldn't do it. And so it took him to this place of humility, and then he realized, ah, this is the gospel, that Jesus died to forgive me of this, and he rose from the grave. And so what I need to do, the Bible says I need to do this. What I need to do is is turn to God and ask for the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to come into my life and work in me. You see, it's very easy for us to forget this. It's very easy, it's easy for Christians to forget this and to start kind of doing it on our own. This is actually what the entire letter of Galatians is really all about. The letter of Galatians, and he's talking to these Christian communities that they started off by realizing they need the Spirit to transform them, but then they start getting to this point, well, I can do this, I can do this, and they actually start maybe taking credit for what the Spirit is doing in their lives, not realizing that it's the Spirit, and then they start working, well, this, I can do this, right? So I can do this, so what does he say in Galatians 3? He says, I would like you to learn just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You see, the gospel isn't just for people who don't know Jesus. 
The gospel is for people who profess faith in Jesus because it's so easy for us to slip back into thinking that we can do it. And when we do that, then either we fail and we feel terrible about ourselves or we succeed and then we start to get boastful and we take credit for what we're doing and we forget that it's the Spirit working in us. But you see, when you're gospel-centered, you realize, no, no, it's the Spirit of God working to bring transformation to my life. So that's the first core value, gospel-centered. And then then last week, we we looked at community-oriented. We see that transformation requires the context of community, that we need one another for the Spirit to work in our lives. And then today, we're looking at being outwardly-faced. So gospel-centered, community-oriented, and outwardly-faced. And the question which we're asking as we go through this is, do we bleed these core values? If, if, if you, we were to cut our church open, right, cut our, would, we, would we bleed these core values? Would we bleed these core values like Yoda bleeds the force? Do we bleed these core values like, like Doc Brown bleeds time travel? I mean, that dude bleeds time travel. I mean, 30 years ago, he slips He slips in the bathroom and he hits his head on the sink and he has this vision of the flux capacitor. This guy bleeds time travel. Do we bleed these core values like Yoda bleeds the force, like Doc Brown bleeds time travel? Do we bleed? You cut us open, do we we bleed them? Do we bleed being outwardly faced? That's what we're looking at today. And of course, what we see is that in our, our passage, our main passage for today, we see that the Apostle Paul absolutely bleeds being outwardly faced. Though I am free and belong to no man, I'm free. I don't have to do anything. God loves me no matter what I do. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And then in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. You see, this is a guy who absolutely bleeds being outwardly faced. Now, why? Why should we be outwardly faced? Well, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12, this is on page... Page 11 of your pew Bibles. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 12. The context here, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world, creates everything, and he creates it good. Genesis 3, sin enters into our world. We turn away from God. We rebel against God. Sin comes into our world. Then chapters 3 through 11 chronicle uh, the spiraling decadence of humanity. And then we come to chapter 12. What is God going to do about it? Beginning in verse 1, the Lord said, had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what does God do? He calls a people. He calls a people. He says, I will bless you. I will protect you. Why? Why have I called you? Why will I protect you? 
so that all nations may be blessed through you, that, that what happened with Adam, the sin of Adam, can be undone, that you can be the means through which we undo what took place, that all nations may be blessed through you. The story of the people of, of Abraham takes many twists and turns. The baton of leadership is passed on from one generation to the next, from Abraham to Isaac, but, but the purpose, the mission remains the same. This is what it says to Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The story of the people of Isaac takes many twists and turns, but the baton of leadership is passed on to the next generation, to to Jacob, to Israel. But the mission remains the same. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. The story of the people of Israel takes many twists and turns. and, 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 And then the baton gets passed on. Well, actually, eventually it's more like the baton gets buried in the sand. And so God says, okay. That's enough. And so God comes in the person of Jesus, and he picks up the baton. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, Israel's king, Jesus, the embodiment of God himself, he comes, and he picks up the baton, and and, and guess what? But the mission remains the same. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The story of Jesus takes many twists and turns. He dies on a cross. He enters into death to defeat sin and death and evil. He rises from the dead and he passes on the baton, but the mission remains the same. And in Matthew 28, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, why? Why do we gather together on a Wednesday night for a board meeting, an annual meeting? Why, does, why do we exist? What is the reason for the church? You know what? 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 Being outwardly faced is the reason we exist. That's the whole reason we exist. We exist for the mission of God. If you're here, if you're you're not sure what you think about Christianity, you're not sure if this church is for you, uh, this whole church is precisely for you. You're the whole reason that this church exists. The whole reason is for the, is for the mission of God. Oh, another, way of, another way of saying that is that mission is the organizing principle around which everything that we do operates. Mission is the organizing principle around everything that we do. You see, you see mission isn't just you know, a part of what we do. Uh, mission isn't just sort of delegated to the missions committee. No, mission is the driving force behind everything, behind our children's ministry, uh, uh, through behind our, our, our worship ministry, through our community groups. You see, the whole reason ultimately is, is for mission, to put it, put it another way. A little analogy for you. If the church 
if we were a football team, all right, so, you know, I don't know, maybe the elders are the linemen, and the, the deacons and deaconesses, they're like the running backs, right? Uh, it, it might be tempting to think that the, mission, the missions committee, they're the wide receivers, right? They're the wide receivers. They're, they're going deep. No, no, no. You see, you see, mission, mission isn't the wide receivers. Mission is the end zone. Mission's the end zone. It's not a part of the team. It's everything that we do is, is, is driving towards that purpose of mission. That raises the next question. Okay, well then, who's, who is called the mission? And the answer is every single one of us. Charles Spurgeon says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And so one of the things that I've talked about with our missions team and with our leadership is that we want to be a church that doesn't just support missionaries. We want to support missionaries, but we also want to be a church that lives as missionaries. Because every single one of us is called to be a missionary in our different ways. We're going to see this. We're not all gifted the same way, so it doesn't look the same for each and every one of us, but we are all called to be on mission. That's the whole purpose of the church. What is the mission? What is the mission? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sends out his missionaries, sends out the 72 missionaries, and he says to them, He says, go and heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. Go and heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. And I think what we see in that is a holistic picture of what Jesus' disciples are called to. We're called to to bless people, to bless them. We're called to, to care for people physically. We're called to just take care of the needs of people, just to bless them physically, socially, just to do whatever we can to make their lives better. We just had trunk or treat uh, last, whatever it was, I guess, whatever, last week. Uh, and and that, that whole thing was just an opportunity to bless, to just bless our community. That's it. I, I, as somebody who came through said, wait a minute, you mean these people, they're just, somebody said this, they're just volunteering, they're just doing this for the community, they couldn't figure it out. But yeah, we're just, we're just here to bless the community. In Proverbs 19.10, it says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, when the the people of God prosper, it's saying everybody rejoices. Why? Because when the righteous prosper, what do they do? They they give. They give out. They give back. So when the righteous prosper, everybody rejoices. A, A question which every church needs to ask from time to time is simply this, and we need to ask it of ourselves. If we closed our doors tomorrow, would anybody in, in Northern Bergen County care except for us? How, how much would they care? That's the question we always need to be, to be asking because we're, we're, we're called to, to bless physically, socially, just, just to care for people. But ultimately, we're called to bless people spiritually. Jesus says, preach the kingdom of God. Ultimately, what we want to do is to tell people about Jesus and invite them to follow him. 
We just want to tell people about Jesus. Tell them about the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. Tell them if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That, that's who God is. We want to tell them about Jesus and invite them to, to follow him. Another way of saying all of this, what, what is the mission? Well, another way Jesus puts it is simply to love simply to love people. Right? He sums up the whole Bible. Love God and love your neighbor. We, we, we love our neighbor. Ultimately, it's all for the glory of God. That's another whole message. That's another whole series. Love God and love your neighbor. Just sum it up as loving your neighbor. And, and that's really, it's, just, it's just loving people. It's important to remember the mission is not to try to get people to do things. Dallas Willard says, you know, Christians, you shouldn't be trying to get people to do things. That, that's manipulation. That's an issue of power. We're not trying to get people to do things. We're not trying to get people to come to church. We're not trying to get people to, to join our community group. We're not trying to get people to, to, to pray a prayer. No, we're, we're just exposing them to the kingdom of God, offering that, inviting them. And then it's between them and God what happens with that. So that's what the mission is. How do we go about doing it? How do we, what's the manner in which we go about this mission? And the answer I think we find is that we go about it like missionaries do. And how do missionaries go about their work? Well, if you talk to any missionary, especially who goes overseas into a different culture, what, the first thing that they do is they seek to understand and adapt to their culture. That's the first thing that they do. Missionaries, that they spend... You know, before they even go, they spend time studying the language, studying the culture, seeking to understand where they're coming from, and then adapting in order to engage them. And, of course, that's exactly what we find the Apostle Paul doing, right, here in, in, in our passage. He basically says, to the, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. He says, to those, those under the law, that's the Jew, He's, I became like them. To those not under the law, that's the Gentile, I became like them, I be- to the Jew, I became like a Jew. I, I would interact in ways that the Jews would understand. Uh, and to the Gentiles, I would interact and, and associate to them, with them in ways that they would understand. And, of course, we, we find him doing this. We're going to go through the book of Acts here starting in a couple of weeks. And when we come to Acts chapter 17, which is going to be several months from now, when we come to Acts chapter 17, we're going to see Paul doing exactly what he says here. Because in Acts 17, first he's in the city of Thessalonica, and there he's ministering to some Jews in the synagogue. And what's interesting is that when he goes to tell them about Jesus in the synagogue, he expounds from the scriptures. He reasons from the scriptures, and he shows them how the scriptures point to Jesus. Um, But then, in the same chapter, when he's in Athens, and he's talking to a bunch of of, of pagans, uh, he, he never even mentions the Bible. He actually quotes some of their pagan philosophers. You see, he meets them on their ground. He meets them on their turf and then uses that to to, to ultimately direct them to Jesus. He seeks to to understand and to adapt. So you see, an, an outwardly faced church, that's what we seek to do. We seek to understand and to adapt. We seek to understand where our culture is you know, when, when Paul went around and, and proclaimed Jesus, they, they, had no, they, they had no preconceived notions about anything with regards to Jesus. In our culture, people have preconceived notions about the church and about Christianity. 
And so we have to listen. We have to be very sensitive to what it is that they think so that we don't exasperate the things that they think about the church. We have to listen. We have to see, well, what do you think? And how, how can we adapt so that we can engage you on your own terms? On Sunday morning, what does it look like? On Sunday morning, it, it means that everything that we do, we take into consideration how someone outside the, the faith might perceive what's going on. Everything from the children's ministry uh, to the greeting ministry uh, to, uh, to the, the, the preaching. You know, one of the things that I always try to do, and actually, I'll be honest with you, I, I thought I was better at it than I really am. I've been going back and listening to some of my messages, and I've got some work to do. And it's really preaching in a way that is sensitive to how people on the outside would perceive what I'm saying. I don't want to unnecessarily offend people. Now, the gospel itself can offend people, and I'm okay with that. But oftentimes, we get confused, and we're like, I'm just, you know, I'm going out for the Lord, and I'm going to offend people. It's not really the gospel that's offending them. It's you. And I find that even with some of my messages, I've said some things, but in retrospect, I'm like, that's actually kind of condescending. You see, it's hard work. You've got to be thinking about, well, how would somebody who is outside of our church think about what I'm saying? In fact, to be honest with you, I was thinking about this message itself. And I actually realized that preaching a message on being outwardly faced in an environment where you want to be outwardly faced, is really not a very outwardly faced thing to do. Uh, Preaching a message on how we need to be missional in an environment that you want to be missional is really not very missional at all, right? So if you're here and you don't really know what you think about Jesus, I apologize to you because this is incredibly awkward right now. I mean, you you thought that the the music was awkward, the singing, you thought that was awkward, and and you thought that the the greeting time, you thought that was kind of weird and awkward. Well, this is really awkward because what's going on here? I'm talking to the church about how to reach you. I mean, that's awkward. It's a little bit like, you know, you, you, you walk into your coworker's office and uh, your two colleagues, they're talking and you realize they're talking about you. Right, so I apologize. It's just going to get more awkward as I go on throughout this, this message. Uh, my hope, though, is as we move forward, we won't have to talk about being outwardly faced. We just will be. Being outwardly faced means that On Sunday morning, we take into consideration how somebody on the outside might perceive everything that we're doing or saying. It means that in our community groups, we're careful not to uh, unnecessarily offend people. We're careful not to to criticize people whose beliefs are different than ours. If we really want to welcome people in, we we, want to be careful. We want to show respect for people's beliefs, not just criticize a truly outwardly faced missional church actually understands what it's like not to believe. Actually, I understand why you think differently than me. I get that. I see why you would think differently than me. Right? And so, you know, that gives you a proper place to engage. I disagree with you. Here's what I think. But it's not criticizing. It's welcoming in. It's inviting. It's showing respect for where they are. It means that in everything that we do, we seek to understand and to adapt. But being outwardly faced isn't just a matter of a posture. It's not just a matter of an attitude. We need to be intentional about being outwardly faced. And I want to highlight just two ways in which we seek to do this. Through, outwardly, through an outwardly faced lifestyle and through outwardly faced 
community. Through an outwardly faced lifestyle and through an outwardly, outwardly faced community. First of all, an outwardly faced lifestyle. You know, one of the things that we find with Paul is that being outwardly faced wasn't just something you did on Sunday. For Paul, it was something that was every day of the week. He was on mission, right? So we're talking about a lifestyle. So really, just very practically, what we're talking about is being intentional about engaging in relationships with people outside the church. Being intentional about engaging in relationships with people outside the church. And, and, and I think that, you know, some of us, I think we think to ourselves, wait a minute, you know, Pastor, I barely have time to build relationships with my family uh, and the church. I mean, where am I going to find time to build relationships outside the church? And here's where I think an important principle comes in about being outwardly faced. And that being missional, being outwardly faced, it's not so much a matter of adding new things to your schedule. It's a matter of inviting people to come along with you with whatever you're doing. You see, you don't have to add anything to your schedule. You just invite them to come with you. So here's an example. You're thinking to yourself, well, what do I do on Saturday? Like, I can either go for a bike ride with my family, or I can try to reach out to my neighbors. What do you do? You invite your neighbors to go on the bike ride with your family. So then, well, then what are you doing? You're actually modeling for your family what it looks like to live missionally, to live an outwardly faced life. You're not adding anything to your schedule. You don't have to, you have to do anything different. Maybe it's just a matter of throwing an extra burger on the grill. Maybe it's just a matter of, of putting out an extra plate and just inviting somebody to come. You don't have to get all crazy. I mean, there might be times when you want to really do something special for somebody. That's fine. But, but we're really talking about if it's a lifestyle, it's a matter of just inviting people to come along and be a part of whatever you're doing. That's an intention, intentionally missional, outwardly faced lifestyle. That, that's the first way in which we seek to be intentional about being outwardly faced. Secondly, though, is that we need to do this in community because one of the things that we're going to discover is that, that when, you, when you try to go out by yourself to build relationships with people, um, one of the things you're going to discover is, well, is that it's actually pretty hard. And the reason why is because, and I mentioned this last week just in passing, there isn't one person who perfectly represents who Jesus is. Remember, the whole goal here is just to expose them to the kingdom of God, just to to show them through the way we live and and through the things that we say who Jesus is. That's the whole goal, just to show them who Jesus is. But the problem is that there isn't any one of us that perfectly represents it. And that's not just because we're all sinners, which we are. But it's also because what the Bible tells us is that when you become a Christian, I don't know if you know this, when you become a Christian, when you profess faith in God, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes into your life. Did you know that? Have you thought about that? When you profess faith in Christ, the the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes into our lives. But when the spirit comes into our lives, what's interesting is that though the spirit is present in every believer, the spirit manifests itself in different ways. We have different gifts, different ways in which God wires us and different ways in which the spirit works, works through us. Some of us are really gifted at sharing our faith. Some of us have the gift of evangelism. Some of us, you can take any, any conversation and turn it to a spiritual conversation. Some of us are really gifted with hospitality, with just, you know, loving on people and, and caring for them. Some of us are good at teaching. Some of us are those hard questions that come 
You know, we really know how to answer those, right? But, but here's what happens. If you just go, here's what happens. If somebody who's really good at sharing their faith goes out by themselves on mission, here's what happens. They go out, they tell somebody about Jesus, and that person is totally offended. You know why? Because they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. The problem is, you're not really very good at showing people how you, how you love them. You're not very good at it. It's not, it's not that you don't, you're just not very good at it. And, and actually, though we're gifted differently, we're all called to work at all of them. We're all called to work and to grow at all of them. But some of us are just more naturally gifted at that. Of course, if you send somebody, what if you send somebody out who's really gifted at hospitality? They're really good at, you know, just caring for people and all that. Well, here's what happens with them. They go out and they have somebody over to their house every, every week, you know, for several years, and they never talk about Jesus. But what happens if you put somebody who's gifted at sharing their faith with somebody who's really good at, at, at showing them hospitality? And what if you throw in somebody who's a, who's a teacher who can handle those tough questions? Well, well see, now they're, they're starting to see not just a one-dimensional Jesus. They're starting to see a picture of the body of Christ. So I want to just plant a seed. I want to cast a little vision here, just for a minute, just going to plant a seed for you to all be thinking about. I want to cast this vision. What if, what if we didn't just go out by, as our individuals, what if we didn't just go out and try to build relationships with people by ourselves? What if we went out in little communities? What if we took like four or eight people who, who were passionate about blessing the same kinds of people? And we sent them out together as a community on mission. What if that was the organizing principle behind which our community groups organize themselves? Think about this. Think about right now, how, are, how do our community groups right now, what is the reason, what is the organizing principle behind why any one of us joins some sort of Bible study or community group? And this isn't bad. These aren't bad. Well, I'll tell you what, there's two reasons why we join a community group. We, we join uh, because we want fellowship. We just want friends. Or we join a community group because we're really interested in studying the Bible. We're really interested in, 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 in growing and seeing how it works in our lives. And those are wonderful things. But what if, what if the organizing principle behind why we got together is that this little group of people were going out to bless the same people? So let me give you an example of what this might look like. Maybe we get four to eight people who really are passionate about reaching out to firefighters in our community. What if we get four to eight people who are really passionate about reaching out to musicians and artists, and so what do they do? They go to some coffee house, and they just go and some, some open mic night, and they just go there, and they spend time with people, and they build relationships with them together. What if we got a group of four to eight people who decided to go out and, and to bless a softball team, right? So you get just maybe a couple of the guys join the softball team, and everybody else just all comes, and they go to the games, and they go to the games, and they just, you know, they, they cheer the team on, and and they, they, at the end of every game, they, they throw a little bit of a party. They just invite people to come on over. This is where the person with hospitality really gets to shine. 
That's what, so they invite those people over and just try to build relationships with them. And, and during softball season, that's all they do. We're not trying to add a lot of stuff to our schedule. That's all you do. Then when softball season ends, well, then what do you do? Well, now you get together and you study the Bible and you, you, you really pray for one another. But, but you might actually have a, a few people from outside the church that are now part of your group. What if we formed little communities that went out on mission together? You see, it takes the pressure off any one of us trying to do it by ourselves. We're just planting a seed. Now, my guess is, my guess is that some of us get kind of excited about that. That sounds kind of exciting. But my guess is that many of us also hesitate. I'll bet we hesitate. And I'll give you two reasons, I think, why we would hesitate to be outwardly faced together in community. Two reasons. First of all, because going out on mission together in a community is uncomfortable. Being outwardly faced is very uncomfortable in community. You see, it's, it's much easier to just be inwardly faced, inwardly focused. right? I mean, especially if you're in a group, if you're in a community group where you really like the people in your group. Right? I mean, you've, you've found, you know, you've finally found this uh, these friends, you know, where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came, right? I mean, you found this, this little community that you just love and, and it's, you, you connect really well with and you can be open and honest and all this. You know, why would you want to let anybody else in who would mess that up? I mean, not just that. Why would you want to intentionally go out and invite other people who might come in and mess up the whole thing? It's uncomfortable. Living mission is uncomfortable. Why would we want more people to come in from the outside? Maybe you serve in the church. You have a position in the church that you serve in, or, and, and you, you like the position that you're in, and it's comfortable for you. But, you know, if, if others started coming in, well, that might mess it up, right? It's, just, it's very comfortable to be focused inwardly on ourselves. It's uncomfortable to be outwardly faced. That's the first reason why I think we hesitate to be outwardly faced. It's uncomfortable. Secondly, because it's risky. It's risky. What if we start inviting people into our communities who, who don't think the same way as us? What if we invite people into our communities who, they say things that completely go against what the Bible is teaching? Of course, ironically, sometimes you'll actually find some people who aren't don't profess to be Christians who sometimes understand the Bible better than a lot of professing Christians. I remember I led a community group up in Boston, a bunch of Christians, and then this one guy, Steve, I still pray for him. Because I remember a number of times I would ask questions about the passage, and none of the Christians could get it. But the non-Christian guy, he got it. He wouldn't accept it, but he got it. But still, most of the time, sure, right. Well, what if you invite people into your community who... They think differently, and, and they start to challenge some of your core convictions. They have beliefs that, you know, and, and, and you, know, how, what, you know, what are you going to do if they come in? You see, that's, that's, that's risky. That's dangerous. What if you bring in people who, who live differently, and they have different values, even moral values of, of how they live? What if they come into your, your community? You see, that, that, that could get ugly. That's really risky. You see, that's messy. And here's where we get to the very heart of what it means to be an outwardly faced church. You see, here's what an outwardly faced church does. It embraces messy. 
an outwardly faced church, a missional church, you see, it embraces messy. It's interesting, if you, if you look at the churches in the New Testament, they're all a complete mess. I mean, right here, we're looking in 1 Corinthians, this passage we're looking at today. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. That church is a complete mess. If you go back a few chapters, let me tell you about the church in Corinth. It seems, you, literally, you read this. I'm not making this up. You just go back and you read through the book of 1 Corinthians. You're going to discover this. It seems like in the church, they're dealing with a number of the members who are soliciting prostitutes. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, dealing with members who are suing each other. They're taking each other to court. Members of the same congregation can't work things out. They're suing each other. They're going to, they're going to court. You've got members of the congregation. You've got some of them are trying to follow this leader. There's all kinds of division. Others are trying to follow this leader. Uh, Paul warns them against drunkenness and swindling, presumably because these were the things that were going on in the church. You see, the, the church in Corinth was an absolute mess. And you know why it was an absolute mess? Because it was outwardly faced. It was a church that was on mission. You see, an outwardly faced church, a missional church, embraces the mess. If you just like neat and tidy, if you just like black and white, neat and tidy, the Christian church is not for you. The outwardly faced missional church, it's it's not for you because an outwardly faced church embraces the mess. Just a few moments. We're going to take communion. And communion takes us even deeper. And it answers an even deeper question then, right? And that's the question of why should we embrace messy? Why should we embrace the mess? And, of course, the answer is we should embrace the mess because that's precisely what Jesus did. You see, embracing the mess isn't just the heart of being outwardly faced. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel that, that, that God embraces the mess, that he embraces your mess, and he embraces my mess. You see, the Christian is the person who doesn't just look, oh, the world's so messy. No, the Christian stops and says, you know what? It's messy in here too. I'm a mess. Look at my life. Look at my heart. It's messy. It's not like the mess is just out here. The mess is, is here. And the heart of the gospel is that God, in the person of Jesus, is willing to embrace your mess and my mess. That's the whole gospel. The heart of the gospel, Jesus didn't look up and go, oh, boy, I'm not going there. I'm not dealing with, with him. That would be uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not, I'm not dealing with them. I'm going to stay up here in, in heaven, right, where it's really safe. No, the heart of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, God came and he entered into this messy world. And he entered into, he entered into the mess of a crucifixion. He died on a cross. He entered into, into the mess of sin and death. Right? This is the whole gospel. Why, why should we embrace the mess? Because this is precisely what God has done for us. Communion reminds us 
of why we should embrace messy because that's exactly what God has done for us. Will the ushers please come forward? As they're coming forward, I encourage you to think about the mess in your own lives. The mess which maybe God has already in many ways set you free from. Right To remember that, to remember the mess that was in your life that maybe God pulled you out of. It's an opportunity for you to reflect on the messiness that's still in your heart and to realize that On this day, Jesus Christ wants to embrace your mess. If we profess faith in him, if we profess faith in him that he comes in and he he wipes us clean. If If you have yet to profess faith in Christ, I want you to know how glad we are that you are here. As we take communion, I would just ask that you allow the elements to pass you by. But maybe for the first time, you actually want to profess faith in Christ. You see that your life is a mess. And you know that you need God. You know you need him to come and work into your heart. And so I would just say, this is, maybe this is an opportunity for you to allow Christ to embrace your mess. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise you that you did not stay up in heaven and leave us to ourselves. You didn't leave us in our selfishness. You didn't leave us in our pride. Lord, you came to clean up even the deepest and darkest hurts, the things that we have done, the things that have been done to us. Lord, you came to make it right. God, I pray that as we take these elements, each and every one of us would sense the freedom of forgiveness and the freedom of a hope that comes from knowing that there will come a day when we will be completely free of all pain and all suffering. Pray this in Jesus' name.